And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Paul Kangor, Executive Director of the Center for Vision and Values. Dr. Kangor, thanks for joining us. Oh, sure, Dan. Anytime. Thanks. Uh, You're a professor of political science at Grove City College and um, heavily involved in the Center for Vision and Values. And uh, there was an article that was recently written by you, and it appeared in The Spectator, uh, titled which is, uh, At a Great Capitalist-Founded Institution, Communism is Being Celebrated Red Square Style. And uh, the first uh, line opens up, Vladimir Lenin was said to have boasted that capitalists would give his communists the rope to hang them. <laughs> so uh, maybe you could get, we could get started. To, I'd, I'd love to talk about this theme and also understand better uh, the, the Bolsheviks and all of that. Yeah, sure, Dan. I mean, what what irony here? The the university is Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, which uh, home ironically of uh, Nobel laureates in the economics department of all things. Yeah, and it was, of course, it was. It's often ranked top twenty five uh, colleges in the country. It costs about seventy thousand dollars a year no. for a student go there. And it is, um, it was founded by two of the wealthiest, uh, industrialists, capitalist benefactors in history. Of course, a guy named Carnegie, a guy named Mellon. And they were recently given a $265 million estate gift from another Pittsburgh industrialist, a guy named Bill Dietrich, who just died a few years ago. You know, for people listening, that's an over quarter billion dollar education gift. It's one of the top 10 largest private donations in the history of higher education. And in fact, um, the Dietrich School at Carnegie Mellon is named for Bill Dietrich. So you got Carnegie and Mellon and Dietrich, all these wealthy industrialists. And at the Dietrich School this coming year, they're holding a Marx 200 festival, which is going to be a year-long commemoration and celebration, and truly, truly, Dan, a celebration of Karl Marx on the 200th anniversary of his birth. No, that's terrible. It's terrible, and the word celebration is not too strong. I was alerted to this by somebody who said, I hope you're sitting down. You need to look at this. And I've watched the entire hour and 14-minute video that, that's posted online at the Dietrich School of, of Humanities at Carnegie Mellon. And it is, it's the kickoff inaugural lecture for Marx at 200. There's a five-minute intro by Dr. Shinas, who, who is dean of the Dietrich School. Then it's followed by two professors from the English department. By the way, no, these are in the English department, not the economics or poli-sci <laughs> or history department. Not that those would be much better, but, but it just tells you a lot. And the professors are Kathy Newman and David Shumway. And Shinas refers to it as a celebration. Of Marx. He uses that word several times. He calls Marx the great man with an incredibly optimistic vision, as Shinas puts it. And then he introduces uh, Professor Newman, who he notes had showed up a few weeks earlier at the Carnegie University President's welcome reception. She showed up dressed, Dan, dressed as Karl Marx. Oh, my. She showed up dressed as Karl Marx, which I guess was a gag, you know, yuck, yuck, yuck. And she, um, but I think that that's 
kind of symbolic of the Marxist makeover, uh, the, the, the big dress-up for Karl Marx that's going to be going on at the university all this year. So they're going to be celebrating Karl Marx at Carnegie Mellon. That is, uh, that is quite shocking. And um, maybe younger uh, listeners might say, well, why are you so shocked? You know, what's so bad about Karl Marx? Could you summarize to our listeners what is so bad about the, his philosophy? Well, and, and that's, the I think, the central question, and I immediately get this from Marxists and from some defenders of Marx, which fortunately is not a lot of people, but it's increasingly common in an era today when we're not teaching the truth about Karl Marx and the Manifesto. They, they will oftentimes try to separate his ideas and his Communist Manifesto from the actual implementation of his ideas by different communists and communist leaders and communist despots, you know, Lenin, you know, the co-namesake of Marxism, Leninism, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot in Cambodia, Vietnam, the Castros in Cuba, all the different countries behind the Iron Curtain. But really, if anybody, if you just sit down and actually read the Communist Manifesto, which I, I would implore listeners to do that. It's very brief. It's very short. It, it wouldn't take you more than a couple of hours. And it's always good to genuinely say, well, I've read it, right, to know what these people believe. And if you read that book, you cannot help, Dan, but come away saying these ideas are not just inane, if not insane. They, they are futile. They are fantasy. They are sophistry. And they are dangerous. I mean, he gets not just economics wrong, he gets human nature wrong. You you just can't say things like the entire communist program may be summed up in a single sentence, abolition of private property, which he and Engels do in that book, and then go have people try to abolish private property and, and not expect to have a bloodletting on your hands. Yes, yes. I mean, that, that's, that's one of the most basic, I mean, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the original Lockean ideal was life, liberty, and property. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, implies that people have property. You know, the, the entire human existence, experience, all of economics and affairs is based on the idea that you have ownership of something. You you have to you just have to have ownership of something. Oh sure, so, and and even yeah. even the the young people who may be uh, attending these so called celebrations, I'll bet that they have uh, cell phones. Some of them have cars, right. and some of them uh, probably have a very small bank account. But they have other possessions that they would really like to keep. That's right. As do the people who are celebrating who are doing the celebrating. And and beyond that, too, I, and this is why Dr. Shinas in his introduction talking about Marx's incredibly optimistic vision, I, I don't see I don't see that anywhere in, in, in that book or any of Marxist writings. I mean, maybe incredibly optimistic if you look at some of Marx's soaring utopian comments, right, about how the implementation of his philosophy would lead to the end of work and toil and usher in a new humanity and sharing everywhere. Okay, all right, all right, okay. If that's what you mean by optimism, <laughs> fine, right? But, I mean, he talks in there, he says abolition of religion, 
abolition of all truths. You know, communism abolishes all truths. It abolishes all religion. That's a direct quote. It's off the top of my head. He said, communism represents the most radical rupture in traditional relations, quote unquote. Um, This one, Dan, this one, I I use this as the lead in my book, Takedown, on, uh, on how communists and leftists have tried to undermine family and marriage. Marx said, quote, abolition of the family, exclamation mark. Even the most radical flare up at this infamous proposal of the communists. Unquote. Oh dear. So you know, those ideas, and, and 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 Marx gives a ten-point plan in the Communist Manifesto. You know, abolition of private property is point one. Points two and three are abolition of all right of inheritance, implementation of a graduated federal income tax. The last one is abolition of all private education. Uh, public education for all students in public schools, government schools. Another one is a more equitable distribution of land and property. They call for actually spreading people around the countryside and getting them out of urban centers, forcibly spreading them out into 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 rural areas. So you look at the Marxist ten point plan, and that too, you got to come away from from that just saying, you know. Anybody with common sense is going to say, wow, you do this, man, you're going to kill a lot of people, a lot of people. And anyone who, who can't recognize that, I, 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 I don't understand it. I, I think only people who haven't read Marx must come away saying, oh, it's a pretty good book if you just read it. Um, yeah, have you read it? I think they probably haven't. Yes, yeah. Well, that's a very good point you make here. Uh, pick the thing up, read it, don't be afraid of it. You're not going to get dirty. Um, you know, if you have a Christian uh, mindset, you can read it and you can uh, sort it out and parse it out and figure out what um, destructive teachings this guy was all about. Now, in the history, um, you know, after he got done teaching this, how did it flesh itself out? What has happened in history as a result of this kind of teaching? Well, it fleshed itself out often in so many different ways. So here, you know, the Marxist defenders will say, well, none of them, you know, none of the implementers got it right. Well, I would beg to differ. I, I think that, that they got it really exactly right. And Lenin thought that, that he especially fully understood Marx better than anybody else. And besides, it was tried in so many different variations, so many different places. You would think that somebody somewhere at some point would have made a word. But, you know, the one commonality everywhere that it's been tried is that it failed everywhere. And it's led to not only the worst abuses of civil liberties in human history, uh, freedom of speech, press, religion, assembly, on and on and on. Um, indeed, the breakup of the family in different countries. But above all, it's, it's led to death. And there is no ideology, Dan, in all of history, you can't name it, that, that has produced more deaths of more people than Marxist ideology. Or at least, let's put it this way, those operating in the name of Marxist ideology. At the very least, these are the numbers from the Harvard University Press book, the Black Book of Communism, at least 100 million people dead from communist government in the 20th century. And the number is probably closer to 140 million because those numbers in the black book credit only about 20 to 25 million only, right, 
uh, only about 20 to 25 million deaths in Stalin's Soviet Union. Latest numbers on Stalin's Soviet Union, it looks more like 60 to 70 million deaths. And mm-hmm. the latest numbers on Mao, Mao's China, Mao is probably the greatest killer in history, are probably closer to 70 million. So mm-hmm. you might have 130, 140 million between Stalin and Mao alone, and then tack on Cuba, uh, Pol Pot, Cambodia, where one, two, even maybe as high as three million people out of a population of only five to seven million were killed in just four years from 1975 to 1979. Uh, and, and, and all of this, 100 to 140 million people, that's more than double the combined death tolls of World War One and World War Two, the two deadliest conflicts in human history. And it makes, it makes Hitler and the Nazis look like you know, a, a, a drop in the bucket compared to the number of people that, that Stalin and, and Mao killed. Yes. So, and, and of course, many, yeah, and many of the communists, you know, they won't hesitate for a second, you know, rightly, of course, of course, to point out what a monster Hitler was. Uh, but, but, you know, but Hitler isn't anywhere close to Stalin and Mao in, in, in terms of death. So this is, and, and even worse, I mean, we, we've, I mean, we've correctly so roundly condemned Hitler that nobody will repeat Hitler and Nazism. But the communists today, the pro-communists, have so failed to condemn communism that that ideology is being repeated and does have sympathizers because, because they haven't condemned that like they should. You know what uh, really struck me, too, was as you were describing the Communist Manifesto and this 10-point plan, did that come from the Communist Manifesto? It's right in the Communist Manifesto. Yeah, it's a 10-point plan, and the 10 points are, they're almost like bullet points, Dan. They're, they're very brief. Uh, none of them, I think, are more than one sentence. Most of them aren't even sentences. Most of them aren't even full sentences. And it, it's right there in the Communist Manifesto. I have my students at Grove City College. Uh, I have them learn the 10 points in my comparative politics course, also my course in Marxism. And when I give talks around the country, I give a talk for Young America's Foundation called Why Communism is Bad, which I have to give at colleges around the country because these students, poor students aren't on getting that message at their secular colleges. And I just, I put it up on PowerPoint or I hand it out on, in a handout. And I say, here are the 10 points. Let's go through them. And you know, there's not a kid in that room, no matter what views they had walking in, whether a conservative or a liberal or a Marxist, there's not a kid in that room who doesn't recognize that, wow, this is, you do this and you're going to have to kill people. You're oh, going to yes. have to kill a heck of a lot of people. Yeah, it's so true. And those points, um, as we uh, get towards the second half of this interview today, I'd like to uh, uh, cover really quickly the the, the Christian perspective. Um, You did already on several of them, but on private property, um, it's it's very obvious when there is a commandment saying, thou shalt not steal. Um, The other side of the coin is that that's because you own something, you have private property, and God says, 
it's wrong to take someone else's property. Um, and, and an extension of that, of course, would be um, uh, a government overreach where they are redistributing wealth, and in our case, to, to secure votes. That's right. That's right. And a forcible redistribution of wealth. And, you know, there is there's no such thing as Christian Marxism. Right. I, I mean, you uh, Christians are called upon to um, share of, of you know, their wealth, if you will, if you want to put it that way. Uh, but but that's called charity. <laughs> right. Well, that's yeah, called, that's Helping your fellow man. Yeah, that's a right? huge. That's a huge difference. Where um, similar to the Book of Acts, where voluntarily uh, the Christian community would help each other and take care right. of them. That that's a beautiful outworking of the love of Christ. But that that's not legislated. That flows from within. That that's what the right. Savior requires, and and that's what we want to do. And and just quickly going to these other points. Uh, the right of inheritance, that's important. You know, our parents or our grandparents have worked for something, and they want to hand it on. We want to hand whatever little we have on to our children. I think that's a very godly thing to do. That's right. And, and imagine, I mean, that money that you've saved has already been taxed, right? That's right. In multiple, multiple ways, property taxes, sales tax. Uh, I mean, on and on and on, and actual the actual inheritance tax, estate taxes. So that's the money that you've saved. And what you're going to tell me that the best thing to do with it would be just to have the government take all of it? What the federal government? By the way, <laughs> if you have done that, there'd be no Carnegie Mellon University. Okay, that is so. <laughs> that is so there, true. There'd be no there'd be no Dietrich School at Carnegie Mellon University. And and also Professor Newman and Shumway and China, they wouldn't be able to give any of their money to any of their kids, and they would have been able to inherit any of it from their parents. What well, and and that money too? Let's be totally honest about this. If that money went to, let's say, the federal government, what would actually happen with it is about sixty to seventy percent, um, at least the majority of it, would would go to cover federal government workers. It, it would be covering bureaucratic... I mean, it, it's not like money that goes to Compassion International, which I point out is one of my favorite charities. My wife has done work for them. Over 90, 90 cents of every dollar you give to Compassion International actually gets directly to the child. Yes. Um, it, do, it doesn't happen that way with the federal government. Most of the money that you give to poverty and other things in the federal government goes to unionize federal government workers. It's absorbed by the bureaucracy. So, you know, that, that money would be far better off going to private endeavors or whatever. And besides, what right does the government have to come in and take all of it? And the ultimate hypocrisy of this, I haven't even talked about this, Karl Marx was kept alive and subsidized, he and his family and him to do his writing, only by Marx's parents' money, which they eventually cut him off from because he refused to work. And then once they cut him off, he was fully and totally subsidized by Ingalls, who got all of his money from his wealthy father. <laughs> so, so he got all of his money through inheritance. So oh, if all of his money would have went to the government to begin with, I don't know what he would have done. I suppose the, the, you know, the leftists would say, well, then it would have all gone to the government. They would have taken care of Marx and his family. Yeah. Whatever. 
they probably haven't even thought of it, frankly. But, but, but there's great hypocrisy there, and Marx wanting to abolish inheritance. You know, I, before we run out of time, I'd like you to just very briefly talk about, was Russia always communist, and what has happened? What happened in history? Well, the communists took over there in October 1917, October, November 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution. And they, they were in control until the collapse of the Soviet Union, December 25th, 1991, when Mikhail Gorbachev resigned as head of the USSR. And I guess you would really argue that they were in control until the late 80s, early 1990s. Uh, Gorbachev and Yeltsin broke up the Communist Party and eventually broke up the Soviet Union. But so they're now at the point where in the 1990s, they, they moved away from communism. And Vladimir Lenin, who, or Vlad, uh, Vladimir Putin, there's a you know, uh, Freudian slip there, but, but, but Vladimir Putin is, um, he, he, he's, he is, um, he's not a communist. He's a Russian nationalist. He's um, very corrupt. He's more, he's an authoritarian, but he's done a lot of things economically, including, and this violates one of the literal top tenets of the 10-point plan of Marx and Engels, he's not only abolished the graduated progressive income tax, Putin actually implemented in 2003, I think it was, I didn't in 2001, he implemented a flat tax on all income in Russia, which I think is about 15%. Um, I wish we had that in America. <laughs> I agree. So, yeah, but, but so he is, um, he is not a communist, and I think communism is dead in, in Russia, but of course it's not dead in places where it's still causing horrible problems like North Korea, China, uh, and Cuba, and as we're seeing in this conversation today, American universities. Oh, yes. You know, it's it's interesting, going back to your list here again, of the 10-point plan, abolition of private education and being taken over with government schools. Isn't that interesting how that um, the truth of Marxism often does not surface in a government school nowadays? Oh, that's right. And, and that, um, when I point out that in the 10-point plan, especially to my students at Grove City College, a Christian college where I think, Dan, about a quarter of our students now maybe might be from uh, home school, and we get a lot, of, a lot of kids from classical Christian private schools as well. And when they see the point 10 of the 10-point plan, that Marx wanted to abolish all private education and put all children in public school, that's 1848. They're really floored by that uh, because, you know, that's exactly what you know, every secular progressive in America wants to do. Oh, yeah. And you know, there, there's, a, there's a movement in California and by certain liberals all over America to, to try to curtail, if not flat out, abolish homeschooling. They want yes. your kids in government schools. Yeah, there's where, no where question. They can teach them in their own, their own mindset. Yeah, if you can shut down uh, uh, free thinking, uh, you can really control a people. Now, in the last couple of minutes here, today we're talking with Dr. Paul Kangor. Um, suppose someone wants to learn more, uh, maybe a couple of books, uh, maybe uh, what would they do to get into one of your classes? Oh, well, thanks. Well, you could um, you could enroll at Grove City College, or <laughs> or send your child or 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 uh, grandchild to Grove City College. 
Uh, our, our website for the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College is visionandvalues.org, visionandvalues.org. A lot of my writings are there. And my books on a lot of these subjects, in fact, I, I must point out, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, I published The Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism, which is uh, Regnery published that. They have a number of politically incorrect guides, and they asked me to write their politically incorrect guide to communism, where I include a lot of this information that we're talking about today. Oh, that's wonderful. The Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism. Uh, that that would that sounds like a really neat read. <laughs> oh dear! Have <laughs> fun with that one. You, it'd be a mix of um, of elation and depression. <laughs> as uh, elation, as you see somebody eviscerating communism, and depression when you see how many people um, follow this yeah. inane, insane ideology that that's destroyed so many lives. You know, someone might uh, might have just tuned in and thought, "What on?" earth are these guys talking about on a christian station uh well that's why we're talking about it today because the gospel of christ brings freedom to man and when we start living according to his ways his laws and knowing the grace of jesus christ in our life that offers the maximal amount of freedom to people who are created in the image of god and they want to start obeying things like the Ten Commandments, and loving God and loving neighbor. And so that is exactly why we're talking about this today. Dr. Paul Kangor, uh, final word. Well, and I'll just add real quickly, there is no greater persecutor of religion than communism. Marx called religion the opiate of the masses, and he said communism begins where atheism begins. And so, yeah, we ought to be first and foremost talking about this subject on a Christian show. Yes, amen to that. Well, today we've been talking with Dr. Paul Kangor, and um, he is the executive director of the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College, and he teaches, um, what do you teach there, political history, political science? Yeah, both. And in fact, this spring semester, as in every spring semester, I'll be teaching my course on Marxism. Oh, cool. So I have students, we actually read the Communist Manifesto in my course on Marxism. We actually read the, the writings of Marx, yeah. right? It's not, not like a lot of these teachers of Marx and uh, secular universities that are pro-Marx where they don't actually read Marx. We actually read Marx, which I think is why students can come away from my class saying, oh, these are bad ideas, because they're actually exposed to them and they actually read them and they actually see the ideas for what they really say. Yes, going back to the source documents. Uh, Dr. Kangor, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure thing, Dan. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 